DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. I'm so excited to have our guest, Brianna Pinto, who has achieved so much already in life, both on the field as a professional soccer player I'm a professional athlete, high-achieving student-athlete in college, international sports ambassador, DEI champion, and the list goes on and on. Brianna, glad to have you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Before we dive in, we have a special message for you. Uh, We reached out to Dean Douglas Shackelford at UNC Keenan Flagler School of Business, and he said these words. On behalf of the UNC Flagler community, I send our very best wishes to Brianna. We are very happy that Brianna followed her parents' footsteps to come to Carolina. She's been a star student athlete excelling in both arenas. Her determination to follow her dreams has been accompanied by her commitment to making the world a better place. To quote my colleague, Jackie Fritch, Assistant Director of Admissions and Scholarships for the Undergraduate Business Program, Brianna is all things awesome. In addition to being a world-class athlete, she's an effective advocate for women and underserved communities She is a leader on and off the field here at UNC, throughout the U.S., and across the globe. We thought you'd enjoy hearing from your UNC family and just the impact that you continue to make in everything that you do. That's so nice of them. I love my UNC community and, like, being a part of the athletics program and then also the Keenan Flagler Business School has been a dream come true. I like to tell people, like, I have my soccer community. They're great, but, like, 
the UNC Keenan Flagler Business School has changed my life in such a positive way. And they've pushed me to strive for new heights and uh, meeting people like Dean Shackelford and Jackie Fritz. They are great, great people. And I'm just so glad that we crossed paths. Oh, that's fantastic. One of the things is we dive in and, um, you know, I've been thinking of all the questions that I would like to ask in, in different things, but I want to start with this. Tell us about who Brianna Pinto is, right? People know you externally as a soccer star and different things, but tell us a little bit about you, things that move you, things that motivate you, things that, that you enjoy. Cool. So um, my name is Brianna Pinto. I'm 22 years old. I'm from Durham, North Carolina. I grew up a Tar Heel through and through as both my parents went there, and it was a lifelong dream for me to play for the star-studded UNC women's soccer program. Beyond that, I am one, an only girl, middle of two brothers. So my older brother, Hassan, played at Elon University, and he went to Duke for his fifth year. And then my younger brother, Malik, goes to Princeton University. And I just love them so much because uh, they've allowed me to get to where I want to go by pushing me. And uh, they've been my big, biggest advocates, and I've been theirs every step of the way. It's so neat to be a, a part of such a cool family because we love sports um, of all kinds. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, before soccer, like before I chose that as my single sport, I actually played tennis. I oh, love nice. Serena Williams. She was my idol growing up and still is in a lot of ways. And um, I just love how it's a global sport where you get to fight for yourself. Like, I think that's different as opposed to soccer because it's a team sport. <laughs> I think it was definitely challenging uh, going to tennis camp every summer because I wanted to compete with all the older kids, especially when my brother was there. I also tried golf. It didn't go over very well for me. I wasn't me, good at it. Me neither. <laughs> um, I like to call myself a competitor because if I can't do something, I'll like usually have a tantrum about it, but then I'll try and try again. So one of the funny stories my parents like to tell is I went to the Washington Duke Hotel um, with my parents at like age four and we went to the driving range and I couldn't hit it more than like five feet. So I chucked my club at a country club <laughs> and uh, same thing happened on the tennis court. Again, like I want to be a I want to be perfect at everything I do and I want to find a way to be my best. And I think that carries into a lot of the things I do. So similarly with school, uh, I've been passionate about making good grades and um, I want to chase my dreams like off the field because I do realize that soccer could end at any point in time. My goal is to be equally as happy when soccer does end. Um, and one of the things I can do by that is by maximizing my education and investing in the communities that I've been a part of. So that's uh, Force View Elementary School, Githens Middle School, and uh, Charles E. Jordan High School, um, and then now UNC Keenan Flagler. So it's been so cool to be a part of those communities. They've shaped me into who I am today, and I think I'm better because of it. Oh, that's awesome. What a, what a great way to start our conversation. And where I'd like to take us next is I want to talk about some of the things off the field and the advocacy things that you really care about. And one of the things that, and we'll get into it in a, in a minute, being the only, but take a few minutes and just talk us through some of the things that you're really into and passionate about in terms of whether it's your foundation, whether it's things that you're doing for underserved communities. Give us a little insight into how you're giving back. Yeah, so I feel like I've had a lot of pioneers that I could look up to. So you mentioned The Only, and there's actually a documentary that came out uh, last week, actually, about Brianna Scary. And she was the first black goalkeeper for the U.S. national team. And she was a trailblazer because she had to hold the burden of just being the only black player on such a star-studded team. And 
I think she did it with such grace and such tenacity, and uh, she changed the game in such a positive way, especially with the 1999 World Cup win, because it made soccer front and foremost for women's sports in yep. uh, the North America and really across the world. So um, I think that was just incredible to have someone like her to look up to. And then closer to my community is Crystal Dunn. She went to Carolina. I grew up watching her and got to develop a really great relationship with her. And obviously, she's still a U.S. Women's National Team member and is in the NWSL. She also carried the burden of being one of the only recognizable faces on the team during her era. I, her era is still now, definitely. But um, sure. when she first came onto the scene, she was this dynamic midfielder, a 10, who could do it all. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a midfielder who was known for their technical savvy ability to be deceptive on the ball and to control the tempo. And I kind of modeled my game after her. And one of the things that's interesting is that like for her, she plays outside back um, when she's got all these great uh, qualities. And as a midfielder, which is pretty uncommon for the black girls in our sport, I want to serve as a role model to the next generation of girls coming up and remind them that they can be anything they want to be. And the way I do that is through advocacy off the field. So I've been a part of Voice in Sport, which is a, a women's sports um, empowerment platform that is dedicated to raising up the next generation of female athletes. And we do that That's through awesome. nutrition, through like journey, talking about like how to manage injuries, uh, through mental health, through like adversity and just those open discussions with such a wide network of athletes. Um, from all over the world has been incredibly special, awesome. special because we champion one another. And then moreover, like within the world of soccer, I've joined the U.S. Soccer Athlete Council. I ran uh, as a part of Next Gen United, and we wanted to make it a point to bring my di more diversity to the highest levels of our federation. So the way we did that was by bringing obviously more diversity in terms of age, gender, race, ability, and geographic location. So when I say ability, uh, people often forget that uh, there are pair of soccer members. Right. So one of my close friends, Nick Mayhew, he um, actually ran in the Paralympics as a track star, um, but he also plays for the para soccer team. So we wanted to cover all the bases. And um, another friend, Mikey Lopez, he was actually a Carolina alum and he plays in the USL and he's of Latino heritage and Smith Hunter. She is a black and Japanese and she obviously comes from two great cultures and she offers a different perspective. And then finally, Matt Fries, who went to Harvard University um, and plays for Philadelphia Union as a goalkeeper. I feel like we cover all the bases in terms of different perspectives. And then all of us are young and we see the world and the game in a different way. And we want to offer those perspectives in uh, the governance room where decisions are being made. So another thing I could add on is I'm a part of soccer resilience, which is um, investing in the mental health aspect of, of soccer. Um, that is incredibly important because a lot of athletes struggle like with their identity of being wrapped up in success and am I worthwhile if I'm not succeeding? And that's kind of the narrative that we're trying to change. So I've been an ambassador on that. But all in all, to summarize all the things I've, I've been involved in, it's really important to me to um, show representation on the field and off, to show people that you are more than just an athlete and you have a platform to use and you should uh -huh. use it wisely. And then to champion one another because you meet a lot of great people in your journey in sport and it's incredibly important to 
come together, share ideas, bounce ideas off of one another and make the most of opportunity where you can create change. Oh, that's powerful. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order Underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. You mentioned mental health and that feeling of, right, am I successful if I'm not succeeding? How have you seen yourself and others really work through that? What are some of the things and techniques? Because any rise to success, right, whether it's business, whether it's sport, right, it's not a straight, right, yeah. uphill thing, right? There's some journey moments. For sure. How did you work through those from that mental health aspect? Well, the first thing I'd say is that with the rise of social media, it looks like anybody's journey to the top is straight. And it's not because social media is like a highlight reel. So like you see all my best moments on Instagram, Twitter, things like that. Um, but that's not the case. Like I, I'm full be first to say it. I've cried a thousand tears over this game. Um, I've gone through so much adversity to get to where I am today, but I'm so grateful for all of those moments because it's, it's hardened me and made me tough and made me a competitor. And I'd say for me personally, like I've had a lot of success at a really young age um, where I was on the national team since 12 and I got to travel the world. I've had a brief stint with the senior women's national team, which is still my goal that I'm working to achieve now, like to become a mainstay on that team. I got to go to Carolina, which was my dream. Um, I was selected third overall in the in the NWSL draft. And when soccer doesn't go well, it's hard to manage that when people tell you, oh, you're great. You're that soccer girl. Oh, you you're going to be on the national team one day. I want to be friends with you. Like you hear these comments and it kind of feeds into your perception of like who you are as a person. So when you're told you're great all the time, it's like, well, do you, people still feel the same way about me even when soccer's not going well? So an example is like I really had to work through that um, my first year as a professional when I was drafted to Gotham. I didn't play as much as I wanted to, even though I was selected really high. And that hurt. That sucked. Um, but I mean, I told myself every day, like, I'm here for a reason. I can work through it. I can develop skills that I need to succeed at this level. And it's just going to be another part of my story that will lead to greatness. And looking back, like, as hard as it was, I'm grateful for it because everybody's going to go through some type of adversity in their pro career. And I just happened to have mine at the very beginning. But one of the cool parts of that, of the resilience that came from that was my first professional goal, which was actually getting to play against Gotham for North Carolina Courage, which was my nice. uh, hometown team in front of all my family and friends and getting to score a goal on them. And uh, right, right, it, right. it just felt like payback. Yeah, like, that's because right. I was like, wrong, I'm, a little payback. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it was all that pent up energy and like hurt feelings and rage mm -hmm. and that feeling of like, I can be successful if I just am given oppor an opportunity. I just had to keep reminding myself, like, you can do it. You can do it. I've been through hard things. Mm. And when you tell yourself you can do hard things, no matter how difficult, like, the situation may seem, you'll learn a lot about yourself. That is powerful. And 
and I appreciate it, right? Because, you know, if you've had success, whether, again, business, sport, anything else, people do have that perception that everything is that way. And the people that have succeeded in a major way, right, have been able to overcome. And a lot of what you're describing is that ability to bounce back, to overcome. And a lot of that is in you comes from mom and dad. Tell me a little bit about, I have the opportunity and I'm very fortunate that, that I know your parents and I've gotten to do some things with them. Tell me some of the things that they instilled in you that you bring to the field and bring to life every day. Yeah. Um, one of the values that my parents instilled in me is my faith. Um, I think it's really important to just like have somebody to lean on and that's God for me. And I'm really invested in my Bible and just the constant faith that no matter what I do out here on this earth, like I'm redeemed. And I think that helps me like in the ups and the downs that come with being a professional athlete. Another value is like the ability to work hard. Like yes. hard work is a choice. And if you show up every day and give the best of your of your effort and show up with a positive attitude and treat the people around you well, like you you won't walk away with regret. I think that applies to school. I think that applies to sports. And I think that applies to, you know, a work-life balance, like making sure that you show up and are your authentic self. And for me personally, like when I was going through those different difficulties, like with soccer, my parents are just like, just stay true to your values, work hard every day. Even if you're not getting the opportunity you want, keep working, you're gonna get better. And just remember how it felt when you weren't where you wanted to be and then remember like what you did to overcome that. So another thing I do is like journaling because wow, it's nice to it's nice to see where you were like even six months ago and then think about how you got to where you are today and like what you've changed and what works for you and what doesn't. It's nice to have a routine um, because routines keep you grounded in a way. And I think that's actually been very important for me, like as I've left school, because I don't have the structure that I once did, like, sure. of, you know, going to school in the morning and then class in the afternoon, tutoring in the, in, in the evening and then making dinner. Like now as a professional athlete, I have soccer for the morning, three hours a day, four hours a day. And then the rest of the time is mine. And it's like, well, who am I outside of that? And I think I have to be diligent about how I spend my time. Um, and I think mm -hmm. my parents have been really helpful with that, especially since they're, you know, 20 minutes down the road. They just remind me to take care of my body, treat it like a Ferrari, as my dad says, um, because you only get one Love body. That. You need to just prepare yourself to chase greatness, greatness and excellence every single day. I'd say those are some of the values that my parents have instilled in me. And I think it applies to just my daily life um, with school and soccer. You've, you said a lot, and I, I want to reiterate a couple of things that I just completely align with. Chasing greatness also shapes your choices. Mm. When you're chasing greatness, right, it helps me choose your friends. Are they helping you align with that? It helps what you watch and what you read. It, it helps take care of your body, your mind, and all those different things because your goal is so much bigger than that one thing or that one inconvenience. And so I love that. And the other piece, like your faith, and the third one is hard work is a choice. And that is a choice you have to make every day. Because being lazy is easy. Shortcuts are easy, right? And But they never pay well. Shortcuts don't pay well in business or sport or life or anything like that. And so I just appreciate those, those nuggets. Now, one of the things that I had the opportunity to interview your, uh, your college coach, Anson Dorrance, uh, and this was a year or so ago. And one of the things, and, and I read his book because I just like excellence. And so it's one of the reasons just from a side, I've been a fan of yours for many years. 
and the, the soccer program. My dad years ago coached at UNC, Mac Brown's first mm-hmm. tenure. Mm-hmm. And so I've grown up in a sports family uh, similar uh, over the years. But one of the things in Anson's book that I want you to comment on is he talked about wanting his players to be a savage on the field and being their full self off the field. How did you all cultivate that balance of between the lines, aggressive, competitiveness, win, and then being able to tone that down and really enjoy that college experience, learn who you are, be a team? So I'm actually glad you brought up Anson um, because you mentioned like uh, the idea of like you be, you choose your friends based on what you're going after in life. Um, and one of the things that Anson likes to tell us is you're the average of the seven people you hang out with. And he does a great job with recruiting. He chooses strong-willed women who are going to chase excellence in every aspect of their life and are committed to being on a never-ending ascension. And that's his 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 phrase that he uses because he wants us to become better people both in school and on the field and then also better soccer players and being on a never-ending ascension is incredibly important to him because he evaluates us in every aspect of who we are so we have 13 core values uh, that every single member of the team must be bought into at the end of each uh, semester you're rated from one to five Um, with five being the single best example of this core value. So one player gets it. And you get to know what the people around you think about you. And that's not an environment for everybody. So they grade you in your core values. Like, are you tough? Are you noble? Um, Are you accountable? And I think Anson has created such a wonderful environment for character development because not only does he want to see us become great soccer players and, you know, succeed on the field and win championships and things like that, but he wants us to help us grow as people. And this is the last time in our lives where we will get a chance to receive true feedback and honest feedback about like how we can grow because in the real world like people they either like you or they don't and they'll keep it moving. But in yeah. the program like this where they interact with you every day, like he has a chance to shape us as human beings and Um, I think he's done an incredible job. So to answer your question, first of all, I think it comes down to the people he recruits, like, and whether they have the capacity to be bought into his program. Second of all, it's the elements of uh, our program, which is the competitive cauldron. And that's how us being evaluated um, in terms of our character and then our ability on the field. So we're on the field, we're graded between um, like our fitness levels, our technical testing, um, our agility are finishing, for example, and I think there's 28 different categories. Um, I'll have to <laughs> Brush check up. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. Every single one of us embraces competition, and it drives the standard every single day. And I think because we, it's coming from a place of love and because we're pushing each other and because we know that we're all investing in one another in such a positive way, we can step off the field knowing that that girl's got your back. I think that's how you find a balance between competing on the field against each other and then creating a loving environment like off of it. It's just so special because it's unlike any other program I've ever seen. And um, it was truly the best three years of my life. And um, I just love the way that we're held to such a high standard. That is awesome. And and like it it brings back that competitive mind in mind. You loved it, mm-hmm. right? Like most people aren't built and geared to demand that much of themselves mm-hmm. on a daily basis. And those that do, you are special. 
And there's a certain confidence that comes with that. Not arrogance, mm-hmm. but confidence because you're doing more. Yeah. And you're doing it different. And so the, I, I love that story. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about the, the world. And, you know, what we've talked about to date has been um, super exciting and um, encouraging. And, and, and it's a good space. But there's some rough stuff happening in our world these days, right? Mm-hmm. With racial inequity, if we think about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, with uh, pandemic and politicizing of wear a mask or no mask, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like if we look out and, and someone says the sky is blue, right? There's 50 people say, well, what kind of blue, right? You know what I mean? It's just, it, we're, yeah. we're always at it. When you think about Gen Z and how you as an emerging leader and as a leader think about what some of those that have been before you have not got quite right, mm-hmm. What would you help us change? What would you want people and leaders to think about different to kind of move the the country in a little bit better direction where we're not mad at each other all the time? I would love to see better critical thinking skills across the board. Um, I'd also like to see more empathy. I think like with leadership um, in any form, empathy is the way to connect with people to allow your progress to be conducive to collective buy-in. I think for me, like if you come into a discussion and you are accepting and come into it with uh, like an open mind about like the different perspectives another person may have, you're more receptive to differing answers. And I think a lot of us can sometimes think that our answer is the only way or our way of doing things is, you know, the single way of doing things. And that's not the reality of how the world works. And I think we need to be more dynamic in our approach of coming from a place of love and like being willing to hear different perspectives and understand how we can connect with one another in a better way. I'd say beyond that, like, I think we need to be better about evaluating our own internal biases. Mm. Um, I think every single one of us has our own biases. And I think that's a condition of like how you grew up, whether you went to public school or private school, um, what socioeconomic class you grew up in, the people you were exposed to, the news channels you watch, like so many examples of the things we consume and the people we're surrounded by influence how we see the world. So if we can be intentional about stepping outside of those comfort zones and hearing new perspectives and learning from different people, I think we're going to be more well-rounded and better equipped to create dialogue that will change the world. That's powerful. Create dialogue and action, I'd like like to add. Yeah, because I I think, and that's a beautiful ad, because there there is a lot of dialogue that can feel rosy about the future, but there's a hard work. Mm Empathy is not easy Mm -hmm. because of our biases. Mm -hmm. Right. And earlier in our conversation, you said hard work is a choice. I think empathy is a choice. Yeah, for sure. Right. To really be thoughtful and listen before you make a determination of who that person is. Right. Based on their skin color or based on the car they drive or the clothes they wear or, or whatever the case may be. To summarize what you described, right, is that echo chamber, right, that that we listen to versus a broad set of experiences that we can expose each other to. And, and I think that's great. And I think that, you know, we have to be hopeful that Gen Z is going to do it better, mm-hmm. that there's going to be more openness than there is in the world today. At least that's what keeps me motivated. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd <laughs> like to add, like, I think yeah, please. because Gen Z grew up with social media at their fingertips, they've got access to more parts of the world and different cultures, and they can see what other people are doing, and they are more open-minded, I think, 
because they're exposed to just people from all across the world via apps like Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, et cetera, and TikTok. Uh, TikTok is really, really one of the biggest apps that influence uh, popular culture and just like ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I am confident in the future. I think we can make progress because we've got a, a new generation of leaders who understand the power of using platforms and advocating for people unlike themselves that come from diverse backgrounds. And I think that is a byproduct of them seeing people they look up to, like their favorite athletes or their favorite celebrities speaking out about issues that plague our world. I think it's awesome. Thank you so much for that. One of the things that I want to swing back to is the NC Courage. And so one of uh, our uh, team members here at the Diversity Movement, Susie Silver, is a super fan, season ticket holder. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what can fans do to support you all beyond just buying a ticket, right? What are some of the things as you look at the organization, you look at women's soccer, women's sports, what can, can people do to be real supporters of that growth and that, that momentum that's developing? Well, first of all, I think buying a ticket is a <laughs> it's, wonderful thing to do. We <laughs> would love to see you all at our stadium and at home games. And before I give you my answer to that, like one of the coolest experiences I've had in my t- entire soccer career was playing against Angel City. Um, they had so much, so much marketing that went into their uh, inaugural season, and they really invested in all fronts uh, in their players. And they had twenty two thousand players in their o- or twenty two thousand fans at their opening match. Wow! And it was just so incredible because we couldn't even hear each other on the field, but you could just feel the love and the passion from all of the fans in the stands. And it just shows that that's the future of women's soccer. Um, so again. Please do come to our games, Got it. Uh, Got buy it. tickets. But beyond that, we'd love for you to buy jerseys, follow us on Instagram and Twitter to see what our lives are like, you know, beyond the field. We'd love for you to buy subscriptions, watch the game, tweet about it, um, because the more uh, engagement that women's sports gets, the more it's going to grow. I think, well, I'm pretty sure that women's sports as a whole get like about 4% of media coverage on most major uh, sports outlets. And it's, we can change that by really investing in like the games we're watching. Like, do you sign up for Paramount Plus so you can watch NC Courage versus Washington Spirit? I think it just goes such a long way. So buying jerseys, showing up to games, watching on TV, tweeting about it. Those are ways to support uh, your local NWSL team. That is awesome. What are the things that um, you've traveled the world with soccer. Mm-hmm. What are some of your global experiences that have been most meaningful to you as you've traveled through the, the sport of soccer? Uh, I think one of the coolest things that led to my favorite op- opportunity, which was in Russia, um, but I had the opportunity to go to China uh, with the under 19 women's national team. And uh, we got to play against Iran, and that was their first youth international match. And you could just see the joy on those girls' faces uh, by getting to even play against, you know, the U.S. We've had all the investment in us and all the support we could ever need for, you know, the last 20 to 30 years. But as an up-and-coming nation for Iran, this is their first uh, glimpse at the international level. And that was something that was incredibly special to them and special to us, most definitely. But I just loved seeing, like, how much it meant to them uh, to have their first match and you know, we want to advocate for them and have their federation really invest in them because, you know, 10, 20, 
30 years down the line, they could be a world power if they put the money and uh, the coaching and the support staff behind them to have success. So I'd say that was the most enriching experience I've had. Um, And I actually talked about that in a video that I submitted to U.S. Soccer. They asked me to talk about what football means to me. And with that experience, I just said that it gave me an opportunity to see people from a different culture and, you know, unite with them in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. And off the field, we were in the same hotel. We got to learn about each other, learn what we're into, um, talk about fashion, like things beyond being an athlete. And the essence of my video that I submitted was that football is a global game that brings people from diverse backgrounds together to celebrate a game that we all love. And I guess they liked my video. So they (laughs) selected me as the U.S. Youth Representative for the United Bid Committee and for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. Wow. Um, So I went to Russia um, with Alfonso Davies of Canada and Diego Linas of Mexico. And we were the youth representatives for the three federations. And we helped deliver speeches and then um, helped secure the hosting rights to the 2026 FIFA World Cup that will be held in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Um, So I think for me, that was definitely unique because it's a men's World Cup. And at the time, it was 2018. uh, The political climate wasn't great for the U.S. A lot of nations didn't want to vote for us to have uh, the hosting rights and um, to have a black woman on the stage, you know, said a lot, especially in a room like FIFA where I personally felt I wasn't represented. Um, I think that my passion for wanting to change the landscape of soccer at, at the governance level um, comes from that experience. Um, I feel like our governing bodies across the world should reflect all the different people that play football across the world. So to step in that moment, it was you know rewarding, but it shouldn't be so taboo to see someone like me advocating for a FIFA World Cup yeah. uh, for, for men. No, I get it. That is great. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we... We got to that, like just in in that that simple question. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with Adidas. And one of the things that you did as an athlete is you advocated that Adidas step up and work with you uh, for some advocacy issues that you're proud of. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So first of all, I am so thankful to Adidas for their investment in me, um, not only as a player on the field, but also all. One of the stipulations of my contract was that I had a internship with a competing brand and um, I wanted that replaced because uh, not only do I want to have success like on the field, but I also want to learn the inner workings of like how multinational companies like Adidas function. And I wanted to work specifically in marketing. So I am a part of the Adidas Social Impact Team, which uh, works with their new accelerator program. And uh, we have selected a handful of Black-owned sports businesses or wellness businesses across the United States uh, as a part of our inaugural accelerator program. And Adidas is giving them $100,000 to be a part of this program, and it will help them further their efforts to increase sport for Black and brown communities. I could give you like a couple examples. Um, One is Naya Wellness, and they are advocating for wellness in the black community using like herbal methods. Another one is the Winning Edge, um, which works with black and brown business leaders that are young um, and creating space for them in sports entertainment. Awesome. Uh, The Black Women's Player Collective, which I'm actually a part of in the NWSL and 
they've been pivotal about elevating the black experience in the end of a cell because there's not a lot of us. And we feel that we should create an environment uh, where we we feel fully supported um, and that create initiatives within our clubs to support our black players. Another one is Spiked Spin. Um, It's a spin organization that offers opportunity in New York, I believe, for the black community. Um, Spin isn't something that's typically like common. So I think that what they're doing is incredibly awesome. Another one is Heal Haas. And Heal Haas is a safe space for to make healing accessible, inclusive, and community-oriented um, using like herbal methods again. Another one's Hood Health. Um, they are also out of New York, I believe, but they're promoting like health and wellness for the black community as well. Another one is R&B Yoga. Okay. Um, <laughs> so they do yoga to R&B music. Um, and then I'm finally, still not doing yoga, but that uh, made me consider it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely neat what they've got going on. Um, black girl surf, um, that was created by Rhonda Harper and, she works with girls in Africa, um, to specifically in Sierra Leone, to help them be introduced to to surfing, that and is awesome. um, it's so unique because she helps a lot of pro surfers. So, um, I've actually never been surfing, so I'd love to get connected <laughs> with her and learn more about her initiative. But I think what she's doing is just so awesome. Um, and then the final one is the Ahmad Arbery Foundation. Um, so we're working with his mother, Wanda Jones, to promote and like elevate his mission. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's a tragedy of what happened to her son, um, but she's just taken on such an important role to speak out about violence um, against the black community. And we want to put us into it. Yeah. Final question or, or thing I'd like you to share with our, our audience. Um, how can folks get in touch with you? You mentioned a way that people can support sports on Twitter and Instagram and different things. Share your website, your any handles that you'd like so that people can know how to uh, build that, that digital relationship with Brianna Pinto. Yeah, so I'm actually excited to be announcing my website, briannapinto.com. My Instagram is b.pinto. Um, you can catch updates about what I've been up to and where I am in the world. Um, Twitter, same thing. Um, I like to retweet content that I think is funny or interesting or insightful. Obviously, I'll have updates about like my soccer career and things that I've been doing in school as well. I also have like a Facebook account that you can follow with the same time type of updates. Fantastic. Well, listen, Brianna, it's been great chatting with you. I appreciate you taking time, effort and energy to spend time with us. I think our audience is blessed as we are uh, to get a chance to hear from you. And hopefully it won't be the last time. And uh, we'll get some tickets for to the Courage game. But I think you're right. The best way to support is with our dollars right and and filling the stadium and and creating that environment for for long-term winning uh our podcast was edited and produced by earfluence and thank you so much for listening and once again dt over and out